Amen. I love that scripture. Today is Pentecost Sunday. And on Pentecost Sunday, the color is red. And, and this stole that I'm wearing, red, was actually the stole that was given to me uh, when I was ordained. And so every Methodist minister in our conference, when we have ordination, uh, it's a day of Pentecost. And so it's always red when we get ordained. And so at ordination service, when, when we come in, we march in, all the clergy, all of them have their red stoles on as a reminder that we can't do life, we can't do this thing called ministry without the infilling of the Spirit of God. And so for the church, today is truly a glorious day because it's Pentecost. You see, without the coming of the Spirit, we don't have church. There's no reason for us to be here. Without the, the coming of the Spirit, we don't have the New Testament. So today on this Pentecost Sunday, we are looking at this milestone of the birth of the church. Today is our birthday. Pentecost is the birthday of the church. And it's the spiritual birth of us as believers as well. And we're going to take a, a close look at, at Acts chapter 2. One of the most studied, preached on uh, uh, chapters in the whole Bible. Whole denominations have been formed based on this one chapter alone. So let me give you just a brief outline of this chapter. Uh, and it can be divided into three main parts. The, the pouring out of the spirit of the disciples on, uh, and their empowerment. Uh, the sermon of Peter to the crowds and the response to that sermon. And then the first summary passage of the activity of the church. This is who the church is. That's that third section in this chapter. And, and there's incredible significance for us, the church, with this event on Pentecost. You see, Pentecost finishes the divine plan of God through Jesus. It's easy for us to separate Christmas or Good Friday or Easter and Pentecost as several different events but they're not, they're all one event. They're all pieces of one event of God's divine plan of rescue for us. Pentecost is an essential part of God's divine plan of Jesus transforming his people here on earth. So today is a day of celebration because it's Pentecost. We celebrate the outpouring of the spirit of God not just on some individuals for a limited time, like we see in the Old Testament, but on all believers for all time. It's an outpouring of power and transformation. This is truly a day of expectation. And I hope that we have that spirit of expectation when we come to church, not just on Pentecost, but every Sunday. And, and, and sometimes the grind of life can kind of beat that out of us. We don't have that spirit of expectation, but I truly want us to have that spirit of expectation that God is moving. I can't think of a more exciting day to be together as a body of Christ than on Pentecost. There's no place else I would rather be than right here on this day. This is a huge milestone for us in the divine plan of God for us as believers in Jesus. As followers of Jesus, we should have an expectation that God is moving and that God is transforming lives. Pentecost reminds us of that. So as we gather together, we expect that God will move. Pentecost also reminds us that we should be a people that join in prayer for expect expecting God to move. 
We read, when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. They were all together. So again, we gather together in this one place on Pentecost Sunday. And we need to understand that Pentecost, it's, it's one of the major Jewish festivals and holidays. It took place 50 days uh, after Passover. So the Pent in Pentecost is five. And it's also called the Festival of Weeks. It was one of the, uh, it was a one day festival where special sacrifices were made. And originally it was a festival uh, of the harvest or first fruits. And so there's this interesting parallel that we have. We have this festival celebrating the first fruits in the Jewish holiday. And on this Pentecost, we read later in Acts 2, that we have the first fruits as of the church as 3,000 people are brought into belief in Jesus. So it's the first fruits in the Jewish holiday. And also for us as, as believers, we are celebrating the first fruits as the church is born and these new believers come in. Pentecost is also associated with giving of the law on Mount Sinai going all the way back to Exodus. If you're reading the summer Bible reading plan, you're reading Exodus right now. Uh, it, in Exodus, Moses gets the law from God, remember that, uh, on Mount Sinai. And there's this fascinating writing about this event from uh, Philo, who was a, a Jewish philosopher from the first century. He wrote before Luke wrote, and he wrote this following about the giving of the law on Mount Sinai. He said this, then from the midst of the fire that streamed from heaven, there sounded forth to their utter amazement a voice, for the flame became the articulate speech in the language familiar to the audience. That was the giving of the law. It sounds a lot like Pentecost here in Acts where the flame became the articulate speech in the language familiar to the audience. So we have these incredible parallels going on as in the Old Testament uh, Jewish holiday of, of Pentecost with the festival of weeks and the first fruits and also the giving of the law and God speaking to the people through Moses and everyone understanding these rich images where everyone understood and the spirit was given. And the giving of the Spirit is this parallel to the giving of the law. But back to the story here. We have the disciples gathered. They're waiting together. They're waiting for the Spirit. Because remember last week when we talked about the ascension of Jesus, what did Jesus tell his disciples to do? Wait. Wait. You got it. We hate to wait. But he said, you got to wait for the Spirit to come. Because when the Spirit comes, that's when the power is given. And it's not just the 12 who are gathered together, but a group of at least about 120. In fact, they had been waiting together for 10 days since the ascension to Pentecost. Because 40 days after the resurrection, that's when Jesus ascended and then 10 more days of waiting. So here we have the disciples waiting for 10 days and they're gathered together in a room and the text says that the spirit falls down on them like tongues of fire. It's an incredible image, and I, I really wish I was there. I really wish I could have seen that event happen. And, and I think God had a reason to have them wait those 10 days until Pentecost, because God knew that there would be thousands of Jews from all over coming to Jerusalem to celebrate this event, Pentecost. The crowds, and God didn't want the crowds to miss out. 
The crowds were about to witness the outpouring of God's spirit. And these 120 believers, as they're gathered in this room and the spirit of God is poured out like tongues of fire, red on top of them, uh, they began to speak. And they spoke to the crowds in their own language. And the crowds are amazed and bewildered, saying, how can these Galileans understand our native tongue? Some even thought they were drunk. And all the crowds ask, what does this mean? What does this mean? All these people coming out, filled with the Spirit of God, speaking in our own language. It's a good question. What does this mean? Here's what it means. It means that God's Spirit can overcome any and all barriers. The God's Spirit can overcome all languages, any obstacles. It doesn't matter if you know the language. God, through his Spirit, can overcome anything in order that the whole world knows of his gift of love. It means that we, his people, should rely and wait on the Spirit to overcome any and all barriers so that we can share that love to the ends of the earth as we are called to do. And then we get to the the second major section of this text where it says Peter stands up and he preaches the first sermon of the church and he answers the crowd. The first time a crowd hears the fulfillment of the gospel. And Peter uses the prophet Joel as his text for his sermon. And, and, And he says this, in the last days it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy even then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Uh, Peter is quoting from Joel. And you have to understand Peter's talking to a Jewish crowd. So they would understand this text from Joel. They've heard it before. He is proclaiming though, get this, that Jesus is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets, that everything that they have read in their scriptures culminates in Jesus. In fact, uh, Peter also refers to three other Old Testament scriptures in his sermon, Psalm 16, Psalm 110, and 2 Samuel 7, just to emphasize his point. But more than that, he proclaims that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Amen. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is the gospel. Not just Jew, but you and I, everyone. And the sermon has the desired effect on the crowd because the text says that the people were cut to the heart. And this time they asked the question, what should we do? What do we do? And Peter replies, repent. You've, You've heard that before, haven't you? I've said that before, right? Maybe last week. Repent. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, so that your sins may be forgiven and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You see, again, I said it last week because sometimes we don't get this. It's not enough just to be sorry for our sins. We are called to repent, uh, which is to turn away from those sins and follow God. We need to live like forgiven people. God didn't give his truth. God didn't provide the spirit. God didn't give us his word just to provide more information. We really don't need more information. What do we need? We need transformation. That's what God desires in our life is a transformed heart. 
a heart that beats for God. God calls us to be disciples. Let me, get, let me say it again. Why did God provide all of this for our transformation? Can you say it? There we go, transformation. And, and we, as the church, we should have a sense of urgency for this message as well, because the end has been set in motion. We are living in the last days. Pentecost reminds us of that. And people need to repent and be baptized and receive the gift of the Spirit. This is the serious, urgent, expectant business that you are in, the church. To proclaim this message of hope to the world, a world that is living in the end times, And the crowd that day, they responded immediately to the word because of the spirit and they were transformed. And it says about 3,000 of them were added that day as believers and disciples. And then Luke gives us a summary statement of how the church lived in those early days. This is that third section of the chapter. It's the summary of the church. Luke is giving us the normative response to transformation through the spirit. He's giving us a summary of how the church lived and how the church should live. What they did, how they did it, what they believed. And we have a lot to learn from this early church. In fact, I'm gonna read this whole section from 42 to 47. but But I warn you, this is how the church is supposed to live. Unfortunately, especially us American Christians, we we have been duped in, in what we think church is. And what we think it means to be a follower of Jesus. We've been duped by Satan and the culture. And unfortunately, even by the church itself, into this false belief of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. But here, Luke is giving us a summary of what it means to be the church. I'm about to preach. Are you ready? Here we go. With fear and trembling. They devoted themselves. What's the word? Devoted themselves. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Awe came upon everyone because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day as they spent much time together in the temple. They broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. There it is, the summary of the purpose and the power of how the church lived. And I want us to break it down so we can see it a little clearer. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That top, they devoted themselves. What have you devoted yourself to? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Second, to fellowship. The Greek is koinonia. It's it's much more than just having coffee and cookies together. This is living life together even at a personal sacrifice, fellowship. The breaking of bread, both in the the Lord's Supper, communion, and in just actually eating together, fellowshipping together. And then the fourth thing, prayers. 
But again, I, I want to remind you of what it says about these four things. What is the word that is used to describe how they did these? They devoted themselves to these. I could go into the Greek about what that means, but I think you know what devoted means, right? But sometimes I, I don't think we understand what devoted means. It doesn't say they showed up when it was convenient for them. It doesn't say that they studied only if they had some extra time at the end of the day. Nor does it say they prayed every so often. Nor does it say they gave a little bit of their time, a little bit of their energy, a little bit of their money, a little of their family, a little of their talent. It doesn't say that if, as long as no kid event is in the way, we'll do it. It doesn't say it, as long as there's no sporting event going on, it says no, they devoted themselves. That's what the church is. Not me, that's what it says. So much so that the text gives us an example of the extreme measures they went in order to have kononia or fellowship. It says they held all things in common, selling their goods and possessions in order to build up the body of Christ, the church. This isn't socialism. This isn't some, but because that's imposed on you. This is an idea that the, the whole people understood that they were a body of Christ together, that they were family. And so if there was a need, they would provide for that need. They understood that all things were a gift from God. And so if we had been blessed, we were blessed to be a blessing, right? That's the idea of koinonia, fellowship. You see, no one claimed the exclusive right to whatever they had. They took care of each other because they saw that the need of the body of Christ was more important than their own personal need. The need of the body of Christ was primary because they were about the business of the kingdom of God first. We, the church, need to learn how to live in the light of Pentecost. We, the 21st century church, need to catch fire with the spirit of God because the world needs a church that is on fire for God. A church that is devoted. A church that senses an urgency in proclaiming to the world their need of repentance and baptism in Jesus. A church that is devoted to the apostles' teaching, to koinonia, to breaking of bread together, and to prayer. That's what the world needs. Do you know what the world sees in this building and in these people? They don't see it. When they drive by, they don't even know we're here. Why? Because we're irrelevant to them. Do you know that studies now say that people who don't go to church, you know, in the past, we just show up and people would show up, right? They'd come in. Nowadays, especially with younger generations, you know what showing up to church on a Sunday morning when you've never been to church would be like? It would be like going to a wedding that you weren't, weren't invited to. Why would you go to a wedding you weren't invited to? So how are they gonna show up unless they are invited? And they see the purpose and the relevance and the fire and the passion 
That's what Pentecost is. It is a reminder of this huge milestone of who we are, our calling to make disciples, to be on fire for God. And so on Pentecost Sunday, we pray for revival. It's appropriate, isn't it? We pray that the spirit of God would be poured out again on us. We pray that God would instill within us this devotion to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to the prayers. That's our prayer this morning. So church, how many of you want revival? Where does revival start? With you. So we're going to have a prayer for revival. If you're interested in revival, we're going to have an, a time of prayer at the altar right now. Right now. Not later. Right now. If you're interested in revival, the altar is open now.